So let me just, I see a few new faces. Let me make sure that I refresh everyone's memory about what it is that we're discussing right now. Rabbi Eliezer Omer. Rabbi Eliezer says, Shalosh Mishmarot Havehalayla. The night is made up of three parts, three watches, Mishmarot. Ve'alkol Mishmar u Mishmar, and in every one of those watches, Yoshev HaKadosh Baruchu, Veshoeg Kari. HaKadosh Baruchu sits and roars like a lion. Shneemar, like it says in the book of Yirmiyahu, chapter 25, Adonai Mimarom Mishad. HaKadosh Baruchu will roar from above. Umimon Kochon from his. Holy abode, Yiten Kolo, he will raise his voice. Sha'og Yishag al Navehu, he surely shall roar over his home. So three times a night, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is roaring over his home. Visiman Davar, and our rabbis tell us that there's a sign, meaning a tangible sign on earth that we can tell when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is roaring like a lion above. Mishmarah Rishona, the first watch, Chamor Noer, a donkey brace. Shinia, the second watch, Kelavim Tzoakim, the donkey's howl. Shalishit, and in the third watch, Tinok Yonek Mishedeimo, a baby nurses from his mother, Vi'isha Mesaperet Imbala, and a woman begins to speak with her husband. Now we've discussed already this whole teaching, Lefiyah Pshat, We've discussed what every one of these words mean, why they mean what they mean, why they're used in this context. Why sitting, why a lion, why three times, why the Pasuk Meow. We've done all of this together. The last couple of weeks we've been peeling apart the sugya layer by layer, trying to get down to the heart of the sugya. We're in the realm of Agadah. We're not in the realm of, of regular Talmud study. We're studying this passage the way that one would study a section of Talmud according to the realm of Agadah, of non-legal rabbinic literature. And as such, we've discussed a number of Mepharshim already. Two weeks ago we spent time on the Maharal of Prague. Today I want to get us back into the realm of the Benishchai. And there are two insights, major insights from the Benishchai I wish to share with you. The first this week and the second next week. And therefore, I ask you to turn to the next PDF that's attached to the Zoom invitation. It should be the third PDF that's attached. It should say, Ben Yehoyada. Ben Yehoyada. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Ben Yehoyada, the page you're looking for, and there's a lot of letters that will send you in different directions. Look at the bottom right of the page, it should say Bet. Anyone can tell me what page that comes out to be on the PDFs? Page four. Page four? Okay, page four. So it's Bet in the Hebrew letters, four in the PDF. And in the bottom right paragraph, in the right column, it says, Dav Gimel Amud Aleph. That's where we are right now. Now, we've, this page looks familiar to you because we've used this source before when we were discussing the Tzlach and his interpretation of the sugya. That's in the left column at the bottom. Now we're in the right column at the bottom, so we're reusing the source. I skipped the source last time because I did not want to get to this area of Agadah before we first understood this according to the Peshat. Let's read it again. Shlosha mishmarot havehalayla. There are three watches in the night. Ve'alkol mishmar v'chule. He's quoting this Gemara that we're dealing with right now. Yesh la'akshot. Says the Benishchai, Rabbeinu Yosef Chaim of Baghdad. We should ask a question. Lama he'erich lomar? Why did Rabbi Eliezer speak excessively? Why did he mention twice the word Mishmar? He could have said, Yoshev HaKadosh Baruch Hu v'shoeg Mishmar And in every Mishmar, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sits and roars like a lion. Why did he say Mishmar u Mishmar? Why the double usage of the word Mishmar? Rabbi Eliezer must be teaching us something from that. 
That's question number one. So why did he speak more than he needed to? Why did Rabbi Eliezer say not just one watch, but he mentions two watches? Why two? Ve'od, and furthermore, Lama dima hazot Why did he compare this roar to the roar of a lion? That we mentioned earlier a few different sources regarding that Kadosh Bahu lion, roaring like a lion. Anyone remember what we mentioned? Remember correctly that a lion's roar is not a weakness, it's a sign of strength. It's Very good. Very good. One of the commentaries we mentioned there was that a lion roars out of strength. When a lion roars, everyone runs away. That's the roar of a Kadosh Bahu. It's not a cry, it's not a moan, it's not being sad, it's a Kadosh Bahu's might. What else? There was another, the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu doesn't mention anything about a lion. Shaogi Shang. So how did he get to a lion? How did Rabbi get there? It's Pshat. This is a simple answer. Right, but the first part of it, Kalush Bahu sits and roars like a lion. The first part, before that. How did he get Rabbi Eliezer from the Pasuk and Yirmiyahu, which doesn't mention a lion, how did he get to a lion? Pshat. Simple. It's a simple, very simple answer. Oh, very good. Thank you, Yosef. Sha'aga, sha'aga in Hebrew, when you hear sha'og, yusha'ag, sha'aga, a roar, this is a type of roar that is used throughout the Torah to refer to a lion. That's how he gets a lion. But he didn't make this up. The meaning here of sha'aga is the roar of a lion. That's what HaKadosh sits three times and roars like a lion. That's what he gets. It's a simple meaning of the Hebrew word. It appears to me with the help of HaKadosh Baruch This is very important. Whenever you try to learn Torah, you try to answer something in the Torah, always say, You're not learning Torah alone. You're studying Torah in the presence of the Creator of the universe. When you learn, Uncover my eyes. And I will see the wonders of your Torah. Two people can look at the same text. One of them sees wonders, and one of them sees words. What's the difference? One of them prays to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, while they're studying Torah, Hashem, let me understand what it is that I'm reading. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, help me out. The other person is sitting there, there it's all about them. So they're, all they're seeing in the words is them. They don't see the godliness of these words. HaKadosh Baruch Hu here. Ben Ishchai is teaching you, whenever you learn, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, your whole day when you speak, make sure you mention HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a sad thing to me that Am Yisrael is not... Yosef HaTzadik, when Yosef HaTzadik was in prison, they say he knew he was Jewish. How do we know he was Jewish? There's a midrash there. What's the famous midrash? How do they know Yosef HaTzadik was Jewish? Vahi Adonai Yosef, Vahi Yosef Ish Matzliach, Vahi Yosef Bevet Adonai. I think it's the end of the Pasuk. Adonai Vamitzri. Where do we know that he's Jewish? How do they know he was Jewish? I hope they're not checking out that. No, no, he, okay. Here, he's already, he's already out of that. What? What mannerism? It was about his mannerism. Which mannerisms? What did he say all the time? Very good. He always spoke about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Baruch Hashem, Bezat Hashem, in Hebrew, in Israel, everything you do to say HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Don't be afraid. Everybody else about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You can also mention HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything that you do. It appears to me with HaKadosh Baruch help. Before I explain to you this Gemara here in Berachot, says Ben Yosef Chaim, you first have to let me explain to you the Gemara in Pesachim. The Gemara in Pesachim in... I told Pesachim, Chulin, Daf Nun Tet, 59. I attached a link to the Gemara Chulin, uh, Nuntet. So if you go back to the Zoom invitation, I'm sorry I'm jumping around a lot, you're going to find a link. So this is not a PDF, it's a link to Safari. It should say Chulin. Yep. I didn't bring Chulin, so I'm going to read you what the Ben Chai writes here. The Caesar, Kesar, Caesar says to Rabbi Yehoshua ben Hananiah. Elohechem kariyematil. Your God is nimshal. 
is compared to a lion. Dikhtiv, like it says in Amos, Aryeh Shag, a lion roars. What's the continuation of the Pasuk? What happens when a lion roars? There's a everyone said, who doesn't get scared? says the Navi. When a lion roars, who doesn't get scared? There's a famous uh, song, modern Israel. Jewish people, don't be afraid. You're the child of a lion. You're a lion cub. And when a lion roars, who's not afraid of a lion when he roars? I'm so don't be so afraid. You roar, you're a baby lion. So not everyone's afraid. But one day you're going to grow up and you're going to roar and the whole world will be afraid. Says this Caesar. When do we say alhamdulillah? Oh, you, okay, fine. So this Caesar comes to Rabbi Hashem Chananiah says, you, your God is compared to a lion. Because it says, when a lion roars, who will not be afraid? What is the greatness of your God? What is so special about it? Because he's like a lion. That makes your God so great. Any hunter, any, Rashi says, an ishgibo, any mighty man, can kill a lion. Everybody, maybe not me, but a strong person can kill a lion. What's so special about your God? Even a hunter can kill him. Amarleh tells him, Rabbi Yoshua B'chananiah, Lav matil. matil. He's not compared to a regular lion. You think of the lion in the forest, the jungle that a hunter can kill? That's not my God. My God is like the lion. Where do they live? Okay, lions, thank you, Yochanan. Lions live in savannas, and in, in savannas, uh, there are hunters, and these hunters, they kill a lion. Uh, so anybody could kill your God. Thank you, Yochanan. He said, my God is not the God that you find in the savannah. My God, my is the one, the, the lion, from Be'ilae, from this place. It's a special lion. Amarle says the Caesar, I want to see this lion. Let me see this lion. I want to see exactly what you're talking about, so special about this lion. Now you won't be able to see him. You don't have the ability to see him. I can't. He tells him, the Caesar, Ibra, really, honestly, show him to me. So now he has the Caesar, he wants to see a lion, a lion that he can't see, he's in this place, where is that place even? And what does Rabbi Yishim Khaniya do? By Rachameh. What does it mean, Rachameh? He asks for Rachameh. For mercy. For mercy. What does that mean? That's an expression in Rabbinic Hebrew. When someone asks for mercy, what are they doing? What are they doing? What's the action they're doing? Praying. Tifila. When Chachamim want to say someone prayed for somebody, they were, they were asking for kindness, for mercy. answered prayer. And the lion left his place. Wherever this Be'ilei place, he left that, that savanna, Elchanan. Now, you have to understand, we're reading now in Agadah, correct? The story here is a story purely out of Agadah. When Rabbeinu Harambam, Rabbeinu Avraham Rambam, warn us against reading these Agadot literally, this is exactly the type of Agadah they're warning us about. But let's read it, because the Ben Ishchai wants to use this to explain something that is relevant to our piece of Talmud here. So, Rabbi Yosham Chaniyah prays, and this lion leaves his natural habitat. And when he was 400 parsa away, I don't know the exact measurement of how much 400 parsa is. It's a certain distance. He roared once. All of the pregnant women in Rome, including the wall of Rome, fell. Meaning the pregnant woman had miscarriages and the wall fell off, uh, crumbled because of the lion that roared. When he reaches 300 parsa, so he's now 100 parsa closer. He roared one more roar. 
נטור ככה ושינה דגמרי. The teeth of everybody in Rome fell out. The front teeth and the molars in the back of their mouth, says the Gemara. Both teeth fell out. Vafu, and even the Caesar, nafal mikusel ara. He fell off his throne onto the ground. That's how much this uh, lion was roaring and how scared he got. He fell off of it. He tells him, all the dentists in Rome went out of business. We are going to say this soon in Siddichot. We pray for it in Siddichot. With your, please, with your permission, I'm begging you. Pray again and get this lion to go back wherever he came from. I don't want him in Rome. And this lion went back to Be'ila'eh. He returned back to the savannah. Adkan. This is where the Talmud ends the story. Now, if you and I were to sit here and study this Agadah, we would have to take a serious amount of time to understand what is going on in the story. Why is there a conversation between the Caesar and Rebbe Shalom Hananiah? What's the point of this conversation? Why does the Caesar even know the Navi Amos in the first place? Was he busy quoting Pesukim, asking questions about lions? Why are they having this conversation? Why the lion from here, but not the lion from there? What is so special about this place, that its lions are greater than other places' lions? How does Rebbe Shalom Hananiah know about these lions? What does it mean that he summons a lion and a lion comes to him and the lion roars once, the lion roars twice? What's the significance of pregnant women, the walls of Rome, uh, the significance of all, all of these things? This is a, not the kind of story you read and then you publish in a child's bedtime book as a fairy tale. There are things to be learned from this passage of the Talmud. If we were just to read it superficially, we'd be doing a disservice to this teaching here in Masechet Chunin. Uh, yeah, Chunin. But I didn't come here to teach us that. Rather, the Ben Chai wants to extract a lesson from this story. Let's do it together. The Ben Chai continues. So we're back in the PDF where it says Bet at the bottom of the page. So back to the Ben Yehoyada PDF we were in. And I'm one, two, three, four, five, six lines up from the bottom of the page in the right column. Vihina, says the Ben Chai. Of course, these roars that were mentioned in the story. And all of the things that happened, that fell, because of their strength. All of this happened in divine providence. Now it seems to be, the Ben Chai is reading the story quite literally. Don't think the lion has this kind of power. Realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu has this kind of power. I'm asking you, you don't read the Ben Chai literally either. This, he says, is a story that is reflecting HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a lion. Who's a lion? He's telling you this lion is like his God. So this story that he's telling you about is really not a story about a lion from Be'ilai. It's a story of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What is HaKadosh Baruch Hu doing? Who's he scaring? Rome. This is a story of a Jewish rabbi sitting in the Roman palace telling the Caesar about what his God is capable of doing to those who just destroyed Am Yisrael's Ben Mikdash and is keeping them in Roman occupation. This is a conversation here about whose God is stronger than who. You Caesar think you're so mighty, my God can roar you off your throne. This fits into this narrative of we were put into Galut, not by the Romans, but by Kadosh Baruch Hu. Caesar, you wouldn't have been able to send us into exile if it wasn't for our God. Our God, just like He roared you out of your throne, He roared us out of Yerushalayim too. This is the conversation that's happening. This was intended to intimidate the Caesar. And to allude, to hint to him all kinds of hints. Being that this is a conversation of hints, the is trying to hint something to the Roman Caesar, let's try to figure out what he was hinting to the Roman Caesar. And it appears to me again with the Kadosh Baruch Hu's help. So every time the Ben Ishchai is giving a novel interpretation of a Talmudic teaching, he asks for a Kadosh Baruch Hu's help. 
שרמזו בזה, that our rabbis were teaching us with this story, שלא יהיה שיגה אלא על שני בתים. How many roars were in the story? Three. Two. Two. Who said two? There's two roars in this story, but there's three roars in our passage in the Talmud and Berachot. But this story with the Roman Caesar has two. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu will only roar over two houses. The first temple and the second temple. The first Mikdash and the second Mikdash. But in the third bed of Mikdash, there will not be another roar. Meaning the third bed of Mikdash will not be destroyed. Only the first two will be destroyed. Because that bed of Mikdash will last forever. And it will not be able to be destroyed. ולכן, therefore, הארייה, top of the left column, שאג שני שאיגות. This lion roared twice. Why? ואחר שאיגה השנית, he roared the first time, over the first בית המקדש, he roared the second time, over the second בית המקדש, and what happened after the second roar? The first time, the pregnant woman had miscarriages, and the wall of Rome fell. What happened in the second roar? Everyone's teeth fell out and the emperor fell off his throne. The Caesar fell out of his chair. He is the king of Edom. It was coming to hint to the king that the downfall of Edom. That when Edom will fall, then the third bed Mikdash will be rebuilt. And the third house is the house of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the king, Hashem, will rule forever. This story is trying to tell you about a first Ben-Mikdash that fell, a second Ben-Mikdash that fell. Why did they fall? What does the Talmud say? Oili, that every time he roars, what does the Talmud say? Woe to me that I destroyed my home. Woe to me that I destroyed my home. This is exactly what's happening here. HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroyed his home once. He destroyed his home a second time. This whole story between Rabbi Yosham B'chaniyah and the Caesar saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will only destroy his home twice. The next time, you're falling off your throne and the third bed Mikdash will be rebuilt. V'hine Mishmar, this word Mishmar, Mishmar, we mentioned many meanings of the word Mishmar. Can you tell me one of them or some of them? Pshat, what does Mishmar mean? Mishmar. Yeah, no, but we mentioned the word Mishmar. We mentioned a few reasons. Okay, that's something else. Okay, but what I mentioned in the show, I taught you something about Mishmar. No, 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 no. I, I taught. I, don't tell me what you taught. What I taught. Should we start over? Should we go back a few weeks? Remember we mentioned David Kadmu Enai Ashmurot. The word Ashmura is found very often in the Tanakh. It means a certain time of the night. Mishmar is the same word, but it's used more in rabbinic literature. What happens in these times of the night? What's the watch? What does a watch mean? Who's watching what? I accept all of the commentary. Okay, very good. Three sets of Kohanim. Thank you, Baruch. And the Ben Mikdash are switching. Every one of these watches of Kohanim are switching in the Ben Mikdash. They're switching their guard. They're now working in the Ben Mikdash. And what are they corresponding to? What's happening above? Don't tell me Akadosh Baruch roars like a lion. That's not... The angels. Very good. Rashi mentions the angels. They change guard every one of these times. And just like the angels change guard above, the Kohanim down below, they change guard in the Bet HaMikdash. That's a Mishmar? We accept? Yes. Now, Vihine Mishmar says the Ben Ishchai, Mishmar, yes, that's what it means according to the Peshat. But what is a Mishmar? Remez the Bet HaMikdash. A Mishmar is a hint to the word Bet HaMikdash. It's connected to the Bet HaMikdash. How is Mishmar connected to the Bet HaMikdash? Shehu Mishmeret Yisrael. 
that the Ben Mikdash is a protection, a watch. It watches over the Jewish people. It protects us. How does the Ben Mikdash protect us? HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence is there. What happens? We pray in the Ben Mikdash. HaKadosh Baruch Hu blesses us in the Ben Mikdash. Havodat Yom HaKippurim in the Ben Mikdash. Every time we need something as a nation, we go to the Ben Mikdash. The Ben Mikdash does a lot for us. Ve'olam hazeh, in this world, shehu shisha alafim shana, that exists for 6,000 years, don't get stuck on numbers here. Nika Laila. We mentioned already that this world is called nighttime. Why is this world called nighttime? Which part of this world especially is called nighttime? Galut. We mentioned last week. Galut. Exile is night. Here the Benjamin has not just exile. The whole 6,000 years of existence from the creation of the world until Olam Haba is going to be called Laila. Night. The Olam Haba in the next world, Nikra Yom. It's called daytime. Well, I just need to make sure that you don't get confused. People confuse words. Mashiach. Yimot HaMashiach. Gan Eden, Olam Haba, all of these words are not the same thing. They all refer to very different things. Now, according to who, what they mean, they all mean something different according to everybody else. But what they are, Olam Haba, at least according to my limited understanding of these texts, Olam Haba is the world that happens after this world. That's what it means, Olam Haba, the world to come. People who pass away now don't go to Olam Haba. Olam Haba is not yet. It is to come. Correct? Mashiach, Yimot HaMashiach, possibly the way this works, I'm just telling you one understanding, from now, call it 6,000 years, there's the existence of this world. The end of that time, Yimot HaMashiach, Mashiach ends one period. After Mashiach ends, we then go to a new reality of creation called Olam Haba. It's what happens after this world. I don't normally speak on camera about these things. So I'm not planning to do much more about it right now. But Olam Haba is another, another realm. So says the Ben Ishchai, the 6,000 years are called darkness, night. And the Olam Haba, the next world is called Yom, daytime. Uvbait Shirishi in the third Bed Mikdash, Yibaneh will be built when? In the 6,000 years or in the next world? In the next world. What did I, what did I say now about Mashiach? When does Mashiach happen? Now. So then the Bed Mikdash is going to be built now or in the next world? Now. The Mashiach happens before Olam Haba. The Ben Mikdash has to be built now. So, the Bet Hamikdash will be rebuilt before the last 2,000 years of exile or of whatever this world is end. So, there's the first 2,000 years, the middle 2,000 years, the last 2,000 years. Before these 2,000 years are up, the Bet Hamikdash will be rebuilt. And sometimes it looks like there's only a few years left till the year 6,000. So when is the Kadosh going to build the Bet HaMikdash? The day before? When's it going to happen? Now the reason why I'm not telling you about us building the Bet HaMikdash is I want to be fair to the Ben Ishchai. The Ben Ishchai clearly believes elsewhere that the Bet HaMikdash is going to fall out of heaven. Now we, you know that that's not my understanding of the Bet HaMikdash, but out of respect to the Ben Ishchai, I'm, I'm reading it the way he would read his own text. There'll only be a few years left. What's the point of having been the last few years? Even if you only have a few more days left until the end of time, those days will last for a very long time. Where does the Ben Ishchai get this idea from? The Kayem to fulfill what it says in Tehillim, Samechenu Kimot Initanu. What does it mean? You say this all the time in your Tefillah. What does it mean? Samechenu Kimot Initanu. Kanodai, so it's very obvious, like very famous. Everyone should know this. So I'm throwing it at you. What does it mean, the words? 
Oh, very good. Samechenu, you will make us happy. Kimot initanu, at the very least, as much as you made us suffer. Hakadosh Baruch as much as you oppressed us, also give us happiness. So even if we have three days left till the end of the world, Hakadosh Baruch will make those three days last like all of the time that we were suffering. And that's what it says in the Gemara. The night is made up of three watches. What does that mean, says the Benish Chai? When you see the word night, night refers to this world. This world is made up of three watches. What does that mean? That means, Remez lishlosha mikdashim, asher nivnim ba'olam hazeh hanikra layla. When it says the night is made up of three watches, it means those are the three Batei Mikdash that will stand in the 6,000 years of this night, which is called this world. And in every one of those Batei Mikdash, What was the first question that Benish Chai asked from us? Why did Rabbi Eliezer say, Mishmar? What's the first question I started with? Uh, oh, don't answer. What's the, what's the question? The question of Ben Chai. What was this question? Why say Mishmar, Mishmar, Mishmar? Right. Why did he say Mishmar twice and not just say uh, Mishmar on every watch? Why on every watch and every watch? And if you're saying it twice, why not say it three times? It says the Ben Chai, it's intentional. If Mishmar corresponds to the Ben Mikdash, I'll call Mishmar, Mishmar, and on every one of the watches, meaning two. On the first Ben Mikdash and the second Ben Mikdash, Yoshev HaKadosh Baruch Hu V'Shoel Kariya. Kadosh Baruch sits and roars like a lion. What does it mean he sits and roars like a lion? Remez al-Bat Kol Shiyotza Mirifnei HaKadosh Baruch This is an allusion to that voice, the heavenly voice that comes out before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. V'Shoeget al-Khurbanam and roars over the destruction of the Ben Mikdash. Meaning, how many Batei Mikdash is the Kadosh Baruch Hu going to roar over? Two. What about the third one? He will not destroy it. And that's why Rabbi Eliezer was particular in saying, I'll call Mishmar or Mishmar. If the word Mishmar means Batei Mikdash, it means, I'll call Mishmar, Batei Mikdash one, Mishmar, Batei Mikdash two. Not a third time Mishmar, because Batei Mikdash number three will not be destroyed. And that's why the proof text that Rabbi Eliezer brings from Yirmiyahu chapter 25, Sha'og Yish'ag. Roar he shall roar. How many roars? Even though there are in total three roars in this pasuk, but Sha'og Yish'ag happens twice. Two roars, She'igot. Two roars over his homes. Those are the Batei Mikdash number one and number two. So read to me this teaching now in the light of the Benishchai. The night is made up of three watches. What is the night? What is night? The first 6,000 years. Thank you, Zeb. The first, this world. Let's call it Olam Hazir. This world. Yes? Every, uh, there are three watches in the night. Three watches, meaning there are three Batei Mikdash that will exist in this world. And in every one of those watches is not the correct translation. And on the first Mishmar and the second Mishmar, meaning the first Bed Mikdash and the second Bed Mikdash, which will be destroyed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu roars like a lion. But on the third one, he will not roar. And that's why the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu says, Sha'og Yisha'ag, roar only twice, to refer to the two Bed Mikdash that will be destroyed, but not the third one. You're with me so far? Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's do one more paragraph together. Okay. But you know, there's a Misilat Yisharim. Misilat Yisharim. According to Mori Harav Yaakov Peretz, this is one of the most important books that was ever written. Most people who study Misilat Yisharim study it wrong, and they develop an allergic reaction to Misilat Yisharim. And they never want to touch the Misat Yisharim again. Now, you know, there's two editions of Misat Yisharim. 
There's an additional Mishnah Tisharim that is the book that most of you know. And there's what seems to be the original version of Mishnah Tisharim that was only put out very recently. I don't remember the whole story. It could be it was found in the Vatican. I don't remember. The Mishnah Tisharim, which is a conversation between a Chacham, a Torah scholar, also a scholar of other wisdoms, and a Chassid. Seemingly, whatever a pious person means in the writings of Rabbeinu Moshe Chaim Lutzato. In both editions, though slightly different, in the introduction to Misilat Sharim, the Hasid, the pious man, is teaching us about the importance of learning Torah. And one of the, and I don't have, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I don't have Misilat Sharim right here. One of the early pages of Misilat Sharim, he mentions, what will we answer in the day of judgment? That we involved ourselves with all kinds of analytical Talmudic conversations like they do in the yeshivot that we were not obligated from the creator of the universe to study. It could be he even mentions there, I, I have to remember, it could be even mentions that we'll even, we'll even learn Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't Teach us on house unite. Could be he uses such language. Marlene, you have this text in front of you? Which one is that? Is that the conversation or that's the regular manuscript? I think it's both, but I'm not sure. Who's, English and Hebrew? Who's it translated by? In two versions, dialogue and thematic. Interesting. Translated by who? Publication of Ofek Institute. I don't see who it says who it's translated. I don't know what it is. Well, that's nice. It has, and it's Hebrew English? Abraham Susana. Okay. And it's Hebrew English? Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Well, there you go. That's a book you should add to your library. Uh, yeah. If, if you have a chance by the end of the class to just look through the introduction, you might find the part I was talking about. It's in, in the regular Misat Sharim, it's somewhere in the middle of the introduction. And if it's the conversation part, it's where the Chacham and the Chassid are arguing about it. There is so much Torah that we teach that is highly irrelevant to the life that we live. I'm not talking here about Halakha versus Agadah. I believe both are crucial. In fact, I, I think those of you who know me know me to be a person who spends most of my life in the realm of Halakha. But... It's a mistake when we look around the world of Torah, what people study. I don't know, your average synagogue, the Batei Knesset, what do they teach? Tell me the average class schedule in the Batei Knesset that has classes, because I know how many don't. What do they study there? Gemara. Gemara, okay. If you're in a synagogue that has maybe a Dafyomi class, every day they study Talmud. Yes, what else? Okay, if you're in a Hasidic community, they'll study Hasidut. What else? What other classes could you sign up for your local synagogue? Which Shpeda Knesset teaches you Misati Shalim? I live in a, in a city, I'm not sure that you could find the Shiru Misati Shalim in my city. Maybe where you live, but I think we live in the same city. Tell me what else you might find. Okay, a Kashrut course. I'm talking about regular, regular classes, something that happens every week, every day. Jay, I don't know who you are. It's, it's, it's Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan, okay, thank you. What, what, uh... Okay, Parashat de Shavua. How much of the Parashat do they cover in the Parashat class? It's the daily, uh, daily Oh, you, every day there's a Parashat class? I'm impressed. I haven't heard of them yet. So you have the weekly parasha class. Well, how much parasha do you study in the parasha class? Uh, the daily, it's just, it's just the Not daily, John. Daily in a regular parasha class. It's just a shiur. Okay, Hannah, how, how much? It's probably forty-five minutes. Okay, how, how many? How many? How much of the parasha do you cover? Six Pesukim and a few Mepharshim. So they should call it Pesukim class, not Parashah class. Yeah? Maybe like a quick summary and then... Yeah, okay, yeah, I, I know, I know. I, I, sometimes I teach those classes. 
So what do we study? And you go to yeshiva. Now go with me to yeshiva. Okay, I don't care which yeshiva. Sephardic, Ashkenazi, it doesn't make a difference anymore. Uh, they're all the same today. You go to a yeshiva, anywhere you go. What are they teaching everybody there? You wake up in the morning, you pray shacharit. Gemara. And what do you do in the afternoon? Who doesn't? Where did you go to yeshiva? For how long? Wow, you went to a good yeshiva. When I went to yeshiva, it was Gemara in the morning, but you started off half an hour for halakha, and that half an hour was when everybody made their coffee, and, and then they spilled their coffee, so went back to make another coffee, that's when they, and then it came time for a second afternoon study, so the first 20 minutes, you're supposed to study Musa. So what do they do? That's when they make more coffee. And then, and then they study Gemara for three hours, and then in the evening, what do you do? You review all the Gemara you studied during the day. So when do you study Judaism? I was going to the Rav Peretz at a Bar Mitzvah of a boy who finished the whole Shas by the time he reached Bar Mitzvah. The whole Tamun. He spoke. And Rav Peretz said the following sentence. He said, this kid is a Baki Bashas. He's proficient in the Talmud. Aval am ha'aretz bayahadut. But he's an ignoramus when it comes to Judaism. That's what Arabah said. That's what they meant Judaism. He knows Talmud. Good for you. I know Talmud. Where are your Judaism? Where are you going to learn Torah? Here I'm not even advocating for the study of Tanakh, Halakha versus Talmud. I'm talking about Judaism. When are you going to learn about the things? Chovot alevavot. I'm not talking about the book. Also, that book is very important. But the duties of the heart. The things that your heart has to study. When do you study Musar, Yirat Shamayim, Midot, good character traits? When? I have a, a friend now. He's in a place, in a faraway place. He has to spend two months over there. And the whole group of people that he's with in a very intense training, there's one other Jewish person. A yeshiva student. I said, is it nice at least to have another Jewish person with you? And he tells me, is the only, in the whole group, everybody has such good midot except for the other Jewish guy. What's the point of going to yeshiva and being a Jewish person if you don't have good midot? What? Who needs you? I don't need you in the world. Because you were born to a Jewish mother. I'm clapping for you and giving you a trophy. You can keep moving. What, what, what's the whole important about you that you need? Who needs you? What about your midot? Where is the world when you met another person and say, Here, take my, hold on to my money for Shabbat. I, mean, I don't need a safe. Take my $10,000 and you're still going to find them on Motzei Shabbat. Where's the Jewish person whose business you go into? You know they're treating you fairly and honestly. Where's the person you speak to? You know they're not going to tell you the Shon Hara. They're not gonna, where are all those people? So we replace them with people who wear big hippot and even bigger tefillin and tzitziot down to the... I saw a guy with tzitziot. I'm not exaggerating. To his ankles, tzitziot were going. Who needs you? We need people who are embodiments of a Kadosh Baruch Torah. When do we study that? If I would have... I didn't mean times I learned Masechet Barachot. In order to pass 10th grade in my yeshiva, you had to know Masechet Berachot, Gemara, Rashi, Tosafot, all 64 pages. They gave you a test every week on two pages of the Gemara. And then at the end of the year to graduate, you had to take a test on all 64 pages. It was questions on every single page, every Rashi, every Tosafot. You couldn't graduate to 11th grade without knowing Masechet Berachot. Do you know how many times I studied Masechet Berachot? I, I studied Masechet Berachot, but I only began to learn Masechet Berachot when I left yeshiva. When I was able to open up a Ben Yehoyada, I was able to open up another book, the Harav Kuk. I was able to open up Harav Uziel, finally to read what the Gemara is actually saying and not just mumbling through words. I call Mishmaru Mishmaru. This is talking about the world that you and I are living in right now. The Batei Mikdash that are destroyed, that we cried about in Tisha B'Av. The Bet Mikdash we're praying that should be rebuilt. All of those things are found here in the Gemara. How could we lose these concepts just because we have to do the Daf Yomi today? We have to get through it. It used to be, I used to complain about people they study an hour of Daf Yomi. Chacham Avodi used to say, if only they added 15 minutes at the end to study Halakhot, he wouldn't say anything. Here, I hear people tell me, I do a five minute a day Daf, eight minute podcast, Daf Yomi. How do you do a Daf Yomi in eight minutes? Even the people who can pray in eight minutes, I'm not sure how they do a Daf Yomi in eight minutes. I don't know. V'amar, <laughs> and he says, Od siman another sign. This is the last thing the Ben Chai will read to you today. Mishmara Rishona Hubayit Rishon. The first watch we said is the first Bet Midash, the first temple. What's the sign of the first watch? No, that's what happens at every watch. What happens in this world when during the first watch? 
Very good. Marlene, a donkey braids. Chamor Noel. Hakitrug haya, the complaint about the Jews of the first Ben Mikdash was, Bishvil Bitul Torah. Because they refrained from involving themselves in the observance of Torah. Why was the first Ben Mikdash destroyed? What did our rabbis tell us? No, that was the second. What was the first? Sins. What are the three cardinal sins, Marlene? Adultery. Okay, adultery. Murder. Idolatry and murder. Idolatry. I'm going to say adultery. I know it like sounds good with idolatry, but I don't think adultery includes all of the avirot that are included in Gilu Arayot. Yeah, but forbidden relationships, eh, okay. idolatry, and then, and then uh, we mentioned murder. If Jewish people are busy involving themselves in forbidden sexual relations... They're worshiping idols, and they are murdering people. So what's left to their Judaism? I mean, this is, these are the three things that we, if someone comes to us and says on Yom Kippurim, eat on Yom Kippur, I'm going to kill you. What do we do? We eat, we eat. But if someone says, murder somebody, or I'm going to kill you. What do we do? We die, we die for that. There are three things that we give up our life for. Worshiping other gods, forbidden sexual relationships, and the third, the third is about murder. Meaning if the Jewish people don't do those things, they're really guilty of neglecting the whole, rejecting the whole Torah. And that's why the first Bedimidash was destroyed. This phrase, is found in many different places. I can think of it in, in Torah concepts, in Kabbalistic concepts. The Zohar mentions a few times, the Rambam in the laws of borrowing and gifts, he mentions over there also, if someone lends you an animal, or you lend an animal, a donkey to carry a burden, in the Torah, yeah, it might be a burden, but we're the donkey that's supposed to carry the Torah. That's our job. If we don't carry the Torah, the first Ben Mikdash goes. What about the second watch? Kilavim Tzohakim, the dogs howl. Dogs. We mention dogs always in the context. We say dogs howling. What happens when dogs howl? Yeah, what do we say though? What happens then? The angel of death. The angel of death. Malach HaMavet That's what we said before, Remember? The dogs howl, the angel, but here the Benish Chaya is going to go down a whole different conversation regarding dogs. I am going to walk very carefully because I don't want to get into two concepts. I don't want to get into conversations about Gigulim, reincarnations. I also don't want to get into conversations about, about dogs and whether Jewish people should have pet dogs or not. This is a very touchy subject. I'm not interested. I'm just going to read to you what the Benish Chaya says. Kelavim Tzakim, why do the dogs howl by the second Ben Mikdash? What was the reason the second Ben Mikdash was destroyed? You said? Sinat Chinam, baseless hatred. Baseless hatred. It's a beautiful, beautiful Haimek Davar, the Nitziv, Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. He writes in the introduction, what does it mean Sinat Chinam? It's not Chinam. People don't hate anybody for no reason. Sinat Chinam, it's Sinat that has no basis. Which basis? People will look at each other. You can go look. You don't trust me? Go look in the Nitziv. Rosh Shiva of Yeshivat Volodzhin. He was also the rabbi of Rav Kook, the rabbi of Chaim Nachman Bialik, the rabbi of a few interesting personalities. The Nitziv writes, the Jewish people saw other people observing Torah and mitzvot differently than they, and they looked down on them, they immediately accused them of heresy because they observed Judaism differently than they, and that's why Kadosh Baruch destroyed the second Bed Mikdash. And who was Sinat Khinam? It was the Kivyechol religious people saying that other people were not as religious as they, and that's why Akash doesn't need Jews like that either. Just like he doesn't need murderers and idolaters, he doesn't need them either. They use their tongue for evil. Lashon hara is when you use your tongue, your mouth, for evil things. You guys know Kabbalah a little bit, somebody here? Someone tell me what a kilipa is? Is it a, so it's a negative thing. Kilipa is a negative thing. There's a negative realm of dogs. Me, I have no, this is not my department. You're welcome to look this up elsewhere. Uh, okay. Okay, so it's negative. It's negative. It's something negative with dogs. And because of that, a person who speaks the Shonhara should be cast to the dogs. Where does it say that? I attached a Masechet Pesachim. Masechet Pesachim on page 118. 
הגמרא says, אמר רב ששת, רב ששת, משום רבי אלעזר בן עזריה, he says in the name of רבי אלעזר בן עזריה, כל המספר לשון הרע, anybody who speaks לשון הרע, וכל המקבל לשון הרע, and anybody who accepts לשון הרע, what does it mean accepts לשון הרע? They listen, they approve of what's being said. וכל המעיד עדות שקר בחברון, anybody who testifies falsely against their friend, you say a lie about somebody. ראוי להשליכו לכלבים. You should cast this person to the dogs. That's what Talmud says. This person, not you should. It's not a, it's not a, a death penalty here. Rather, this person is, is deserving of being cast to the dogs. And the Gemara goes in a, in a, where do they get that idea from? As a play on words in a pasuk. Okay. This teaching here of casting someone to the dogs, let me dwell on that for a second, and then I will get to my ending of the Benishchai. The Chida in Petach Enaim. So the Chida has many, many, many books. I think I have a set of the Chida's books, like 20 volumes, which make up 53 books. It's, a, it's a, unbelievable what the Chida left for us. The Chida writes, the Hashlichol Klavim to send them, cast them to the dogs, it could be that it's connected to that which the Kabbalists say, that somebody who speaks the Shon Hara, he gives strength to the Kilipa of dogs, and then afterwards what happens to him? He becomes reincarnated in a dog. You know what other Chet has to do with being reincarnated as a dog according to the Mekubalim? It's good, I won't tell you. So the, the Rabbi Yudha Fataye, who is a friend and colleague of the Ben Ishchai, he has, I told you once, a scary book called Haruchot Mesabrot, all kinds of spirits he communicated with. If you're not Kabbalist, wonderful. If you are, wonderful. Whatever you do with this information, I'm sharing with you what he wrote. Rabbi Fataye had all kinds of souls that came to speak to him, and he would mention, when he made Aliyah from Baghdad to Israel, he mentioned frequently he would go to Shuk Machanei Yehuda to the market in Machanei. He would speak with the dogs over there. And this one was a Jewish guy from that synagogue, and this one was because of that one. And, they, and all of them, he would try to help them be unreincarnated so they could go back to wherever they're supposed to go. Bottom line is, there's a connection here. Says the Chida, the Kevan Sheken, and because of that, Hen Baudenuchai, even before he dies and is reincarnated, it's good to throw him to the dogs. Because then the Tuma of the dogs, because those who touch dogs and have to do with dogs, according to the Mukubalim, they get a kilipa of, of don't, don't hate your pets right now. The question of which kind of dog, is it only evil dogs, I'm, 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 I'm simply saying, and if, but anyone who touches the dog, he gets the spiritual impurity of the dog. And then ultimately this person will be reincarnated as a dog. And if you look at my other writing, says the Chida, you can see over there what I mentioned about that. Now, being that I'm not a Mekubal, I want to try to explain at least according to the Pshat. Maybe we can understand something. What's the connection between Lashon Hara and, and a, a dog? So if you look in Mishle, the Pasuk in Mishle, Mishle says in 26.11, the Basuk says, Just like a dog returns to his, his keo, his vomit, so too a ksil. What is a ksil? A fool. In my translation, they said a dullard. I've never heard that word before. A fool, he repeats his, his mistake. Just like a dog goes back and he eats his vomit, also his waste by the dogs who have a condition. Mamash, it's a real condition. Some people have pet dogs, they have to buy special pellets to put in their food so they won't eat their waste when it comes out on the other side. Just like a dog goes back to eat the things that comes out of him, so to a fool does the same stupid thing over and over and over and over again. That's the way a foolish person is. So essentially, this is the definition of a fool. The definition of a fool is a person who does the same bad things over and over. Tzadikim also do bad things. What's the difference between a tzadik and a rasha'adin? Someone who learns from their mistake. People think tzaddikim cannot make mistakes. What does it say? Sheva yipol tzaddik, v'kam. A tzaddik falls seven times, but he gets up. The death, what makes you a tzaddik is the ability to get up. A rasha is someone who does bad. You know, I'm, I'm so bad, I'm just going to stay bad for the rest of my life. 
Only a foolish person thinks like that. That because I was bad once, I have to stay bad the rest of my life. Achieve different results. So Einstein must have studied Mishle. Now, the commentary, this is more important though, is the commentary of the Me'iri on Mishle. The Me'iri is one of my favorite Chachamim. I unfortunately don't have a set of his writings. Whenever I look up the Me'iri, I have to go look online for his, uh, a digital copy. The Me'iri writes, Kichelev, like a dog. Shekvar mitchila machalot varim meusim. Have you ever seen a dog's food? A dog's food, already before he ate it, was already gross. Yeah, like once we had here a bottle of, uh, I'm not going to mention which, but one of those Jewish wines that's like, especially Sweden, you know those, those wines, they make them for the Pesach Seder with the gefilte fish, you know this wine? So uh, somebody asked, is the wine, we left it out all week, is it spoiled? So somebody here in the Berekinans said, it was spoiled before you opened the bottle either way. So what a dog eats already in the beginning, his food is bad. There's a famous story of self, uh, <laughs> okay, even better, so now we're going to read about them also. There was a famous story about a, a robber broke into somebody's house. They were on vacation. He got locked in their garage. You for sure know this story. It's about the classic case of the American legal system. It's not a justice system. It's a legal system. He got stuck in these people's garage, and all the food that he, they had to eat in the garage was dog food. So he lived on dog food, and then he sued them after they came home and they caught him. He sued them in a civil suit that he had to eat dog food. But what's the legal basis for all of this? I recently took a, a, a legal course here in San Diego and they were analyzing a court case in which somebody had broken into someone else's home. So they had broken through the skylight and the skylight wasn't stable so they fell through the skylight and landed flat on their back onto the kitchen counter. But the kitchen counter was covered with dirty uh, utensils, pots, pans, forks, I don't know what it was. And because it was an uneven surface, he fell and broke his back. And he was stuck there until the police came. And yes, he served a criminal sentence for breaking into somebody's house. But he filed back a civil suit on the family because they broke his back. And he won that civil case. The family declared bankruptcy. And this, this, yeah, well, I'll tell you exactly in a second. This, this, uh, this family declared bankruptcy, and this robber, he bought himself a house. Maybe even the same house. I don't remember the story. What's the basis, the legal basis here? And the reason for this was because in America, even if you win a criminal case, nobody can protect you from a civil suit that will follow. And civil suits in this country are notoriously uh, uh, perverse in the way they deal with law. The judge, the, this guy had a good lawyer. You know what they say? You have a good lawyer, you win a court case. What is Orech Din in Hebrew? Orechdin means somebody who knows how to present the law. They know how to work it properly. So there's a law in this country. If the mailman, the postal worker, Amazon delivery lady, they show up and they come to deliver something by your front door. And they trip on your kid's scooter that's there and they break their head. Can they file a suit against you? Yes. Yes, but they went on your property. They fell on the scooter. That's their problem. What's the basis for this? Just like when you hire any employee, you have an obligation to provide them safe working conditions. And the front of your house until the front door or the post office, you have a legal requirement to provide safe working conditions for the people who are delivering things to your doorstep. And because of that, you're liable for anything that happens to them on your property. That's why people have liability insurance on their homes. Now, what did this lawyer argue? The lawyer argued, my client is a career criminal. Look at his prison record. He's been in prison a few times already because of stealing. That's what he does for a living. And so he came to your client's home and you were supposed to provide him safe working conditions. And you did not provide him safe working conditions. And that kitchen counter should have been clear. The sunroof should have been stabler. And, and the judge sided with the rubber. Because technically, according to the law, that's his job, that's the definition of a job, that's the definition of working conditions, and they, that family ended up declaring bankruptcy. True story. Being a thief is not a bona fide job. Clearly that lawyer made a very, very convincing argument that a criminal can still have his criminal act be considered his career. Now, I didn't come here to give you a class. I feel like the judge must have been... <laughs> 
You know, they say that a good lawyer knows the law and a better lawyer knows the judge. Who knows, who knows who, what happened in that court case? But it was a clear case of when, when you know, when dealing with a law, you have to make sure not everything makes sense. Not everything is just. This course was taught by a former police officer in the San Diego Police Department. It was one of his cases that he taught was this one that came up. So why did I get to this? I have no, a dog, a dog already eats bad food. So this person was in the garage with the dog food. That's how I got here. Already a dog eats bad food. Ken This is the same thing with a foolish person. The dog still goes back to eat the bad food a second time. It was bad enough he ate it the first time, says the Meiri. Now he wants to go back and eat it a second time? And essentially what he's trying to tell you is don't get stuck in bad character traits. Don't do that. The whole conversation about someone who speaks Lashon Hara is like a dog. Meaning a dog is someone who makes the same... You know how bad Lashon Hara is. So why do you keep doing it over and over again? Why do you keep hurting people? Why do you keep hurting yourself also? You're doing ugly things over and over. The, the dog is teaching you it's an animal that does not learn from its mistake. It does the same gross thing over and over and over again. That's what the Me'iri teaches us. So now, to finish the Benishchai, because I really told you I would be done already. And therefore, the third, the third watch, and if you want to see a Kabbalistic understanding, a deeper one, and you have the writings of the Mahalal, you can look in Nitiv uh, Halashon, in chapter 7, over there he discusses this more. The third watch. That's the third Benishchai. Which should be rebuilt speedily in our days. Amen. There is nothing that will happen, no, no evil that will happen, and therefore there will also be no destruction that will happen to it. Rather, what will happen then? What's the third sign? What's the third sign of the third watch? A baby and the wife, right? Tinok, the baby. These are the Jewish people. Because the prophet Hoshea says, that the... the Jewish people are a nar, they're a child. You know in Yiddish they say there's a word for silly behavior, childish behavior, what do they call it? Nonsense, I just say nonsense in Yiddish. I shouldn't be teaching you Yiddish. Shtus. What? Shtus, okay, that's a Hebrew perversion of the... Narishkeit, you ever heard the word narishkeit? What does narishkeit mean? You're acting so narish. A nar is, is a child. You're being so childish. And so, therefore, something that is so juvenile, they call it narishkeit. That's where that word comes from. So, Am Yisrael is called a nar. We are a nar. Yonek mishdeimo. We are nursing from our mother's breast. Kilomar. Mekabalim bo mina shekhinah bilti emtsai. We receive our sustenance from the shekhinah without any intermediaries. What does it mean without any intermediaries? You have to see very quickly what the Benishchai is going to say. The wife is the Jewish people. She discusses with her husband. HaKadosh Baruch is the husband of the Jewish people. We will reach a level. We're like a baby who nurses from his mother without any intermediary. There's no bottle. There's no formula container. This is mother to the baby. Just like a wife who speaks with her husband. There's no translator, there's no interpreter, there shouldn't be any lawyer involved. This is a direct communication between two parties. The Jewish people one day will merit to learn Torah beruach HaKodesh, lo rav, without the intermediary of a rabbi in between them and the Torah. Remember we discussed here not so long ago? But make for yourself a rabbi does not mean to make for yourself somebody who tells you what to do, but to have somebody that you trust to learn Torah with that's the difference between the Rambam's approach and pretty much everybody else. The same thing here. Am Yisrael will reach a place where they no longer will need to learn Torah from people, but they will learn Torah directly from the source. Like it says in the prophet Yishayahu, All of your children are knowledgeable of Hashem. And says Yirmiyahu, Kulam yidu'uti, all will know me. Uchtiv and Yoel, it says in the prophet Yoel, V'nibu b'nechem u'vnadechem, your sons and your daughters will be prophets. Yitnabu'u k'nvi'im, says the Ben Yishchai, they will prophesy like real prophets. Shekulam ruach Adonai diberbam, because HaKadosh Baruch will speak to all people directly. And I think if I had to wrap up today's shiur of the Ben Yishchai, is that when we read a passage in the Talmud to see, there is so much more that we can extract from a teaching in the Gemara than what people just like to throw around the source. Ah, does this. To look at a source, even a story about a lion and the emperor of Rome that looks so childish. We mentioned already the Rambam told us, the Rabbeinu Abraham, the son of the Rambam told us, 
the our Chachamim used these stories to teach their students very deep things that they didn't want everybody to just be able to open up a safari page and extract the English translation from it. They wanted us to work hard, to learn Torah, and to really find the deeper ideas inside of it. And that's why when we look at a passage of the Talmud, the Geonim tell us, and it doesn't make sense, it's not a legal passage, it's an Agadita passage, it doesn't make sense, we just leave it, we don't have to accept it, we also don't have to reject it, we're just, it's clearly we didn't get the message our rabbis were trying to tell us, then we move on from there. So next week, Bezad Hashem, I'll be bringing you from another book of the Ben Ishchai called Benayahu, one more teaching, similar to this, but different. Being similar in style, but not in content, of the Ben Ishchai's reading of this passage in the Talmud. Bezad Hashem, I look forward to seeing you next week.